Uh, before we get into our scripture this morning, a quick story to begin. There was a preacher once who was going to uh, do, he was going to do a Bible class on the importance of clean living. So he came up with this illustration that he was going to use, and, and he went home and he got three jars, and he put a worm in each jar, uh, poked holes in the lids, so the worm could breathe, uh, and in one jar he filled it with beer, put the worm in the jar with beer. The second one, he filled it with tobacco smoke. We won't theorize as to how this preacher came about a jar full of tobacco smoke, but he did. Filled it with tobacco smoke, put this worm in there, closed the lid. The, fir- the third one, he put clean soil in, put the worm in there, left him there for a week. Brought him to Bible class next Sunday morning. He told the, the class what he had done. And so he opened the, the, the jar with the, uh, the beer and the worm in it, and the worm was dead. He opened the jar with the tobacco smoke uh, and the worm, and that worm was dead. And then he opened a third one with the clean soil, and the worm was healthy, ready to go, looked great. And so he said, what do we learn from this illustration? This woman at the back raised her hand. She said, if you drink and smoke every day, you won't get worms. <laughs> and he thought, well, like, okay. <laughs> uh, not really the point he was trying to make. Derailed the whole thing, right? Uh, sometimes it's possible to look at something and completely miss the point of what is going on. And as we talked about last week, that seems to be what's going on with uh, the people that, and the, the ideas, the teachings that Jesus is addressing in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. That Jesus repeatedly seems to be saying, hold on, hold on, I think you've, you've missed the point of what my Father, of what God was trying to get at when he gave you these commands. And you've, you, you've kind of twisted them, you've turned them, and in doing so, you've missed the point. And so with that said, uh, we're going to pick up again in Matthew 5 today. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 27. We're going to read 27 through 32. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right. Uh, So there's a lot there. What, what do we do with all of that? And so we're going to get into it in just a minute. Uh, first, I want to begin with a different chapter in the Bible, John 6. Uh, so John 6 is this like roller coaster uh, of a chapter. John 6 starts off on this like 
this emotional high moment. It begins with the feeding of the 5,000. And if you're just reading along in John and don't know about anything that comes next, or you've never heard the story of Jesus before, you would probably be thinking, this is the moment that Jesus' ministry just takes off and we just take over the world from here. Uh, He feeds 5,000 people with a little, you know, basically a lunch pail full of food. Uh, The people are so impressed by this. He's been healing people. He's feeding people. They say, this is the guy that, that needs to be our leader. They come and they try to make him king by force, John tells us. Like, they're just convinced this is the guy we need. And it seems like things could not be going better for Jesus and what he's doing. And so Jesus kind of almost senses that and senses that, again, the people have missed the point. They're looking to him for the wrong reasons. And so he starts laying on them some hard teachings, really difficult stuff, stuff that the people are just really struggling to understand, stuff like, if you want to be part of the kingdom, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it's after that that some people come to Jesus and they're like, hold on, Jesus, do you realize how this sounds to other people, right? Like, this is a difficult train to kind of get on board with. And they say, these are hard teachings. Who can accept this? And Jesus, almost as if he doesn't hear them, just keeps going and, and keeps laying out hard teachings and difficult stuff. To the point that we get to John uh, 6, verse 66. It's going to be on the screen here. And John tells us this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Remember how the chapter began. They're ready to make him king by force because this is a guy who can do anything that we need. And now people just start turning away and leaving because this is getting too hard. Uh, and I imagine, like I, in my mind's eye, when I picture this, I have this picture of, of Jesus standing in front of a crowd and people just kind of slowly starting to turn and walk away. And you have the 12 here who are in front of him, right? And they're looking kind of confused. They're kind of making awkward eye contact with each other. Like, is, are you going to go? Are you going to stick it out? Who's, are, we, are we doing this? And so Jesus sees them and he kind of looks at them. He kind of gives them a head nod. He's like, well... well what about y'all? Y'all going to leave? Like almost as if he would be okay if they did. Like if you want out, here's your chance. This is your exit ramp. Everyone else is going. If you're not on board, this is it. You can go. And so it's Peter who speaks up. And Peter says to him, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Uh, Peter oftentimes is the first to speak up. He's kind of the mouthpiece for the twelve, right? He seems to, think, to say what everyone else is thinking, and they probably elbowed him a few times, like, Peter, like, not now. <laughs> you don't have a filter. We've told you to stop. <laughs> and so he does it sometimes with, you know, when he kind of puts his foot in his mouth, but he also has these bold declarations of faith like this one. When he realizes, yeah, we, we get that this is hard. But where else are we going to go? We've come to believe that you have the eternal words of life and that you are the Holy One of God. And so, as we think about the Sermon on the Mount, as we go through this, I completely get that there are times where we may come to the sermon and think, all right, Jesus, like, I just need a break. Like, it would be nice if there was a section of the Sermon on the Mount that was about why and how we should love puppies. Like, that would be nice, right? Just... Something we could rally around and just be united around and think, I'm going to do my best this week to love puppies well, and this is going to be good, and I can do this. (laughs) Uh, It would be nice just to kind of have a break. I get that. I get going through this and thinking, man, this is hard. 
Why, why would I stick this out? Why, why not turn around and just leave with the crowd? And I think our answer to that, hopefully, is that we believe that in Jesus is the eternal word of God. And we have come to believe that he is the Holy One of God. And that in believing that, we have also then come to believe that abundant life and life to the fullest is found in Jesus. Even if there are times when that means it's really hard to reorient our life and our worldview and our perspective around the kingdom worldview to which Jesus calls us. Uh, But we believe that it's worth it because of who Jesus is and the life that he's called us to live. Uh, so with that kind of as a, as, as a uh, way of introduction, uh, in this scripture, in this text that I read for us this morning, if you have it in your Bible or you're looking at it on your phone, uh, you may see that it's, it's divided up into, there's, there are two paragraphs here. Uh, and the connective thread between both of them is adultery. In, in both of them, Jesus is connecting a concept to adultery. In the first paragraph, he's talking about lust. The second one, he connects adultery to divorce. And then in the middle, he talks about gouging out our eyes and cutting off our hands. So happy baby blessing day. This is, this is the uplifting, uplifting message of dedicating a new one to God. <laughs> um, which may seem not real fitting, but I think it is actually going to fit, which we'll come back to at the end. Um. And so I want to begin, I want to say kind of a word about lust and a word about divorce before we get to some of kind of what I think are some of the underlying principles um, at play in this section. And so first about lust. Uh, Lust is basically, can can basically be defined as as an overpowering craving or desire. And when connected to sexual desire or sexual lust, what we find is that lust is often uh, connected to disconnecting another person from their humanity. It is about objectifying that other person and only seeing them as something that can benefit me or or fill uh, my either real or perceived need that I think I have. Uh, This, I think, is one of the primary dangers and evils of pornography, is that it completely disconnects that person on on the screen or the magazine or whatever it is from their humanity, from their dignity, and it is all about this kind of self-fulfilling craving and lust that I have for what I think I'm going to get out of that experience. Um, And I think it's important to remember that that whenever lust is discussed in Scripture, Jesus talks about it here, Paul talks about it in one of his letters, uh, the responsibility for lust is put on the one who is lusting. Uh, Jesus says, um, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, Paul says something similar later on. The one who lusts is the one responsible for the lusting thoughts and the lusting behavior. And I think that's important and relevant because I think sometimes in our culture, in our context, we hear a competing message, that we get that flipped sometimes. Um, and lust can, can happen, of course, in a variety of scenarios and situations across gender lines. Uh, but specifically, I think we hear kind of an alternate narrative around lust as it relates to men lusting after women, which is the, the context that Jesus uses here as well. 
And so I think it's relevant and important to say, especially to our men, that our lustful thoughts, our propensity to lust, cannot be laid at the feet of women's appearance and their clothing choices. Uh, And we do something very, very harmful, I think, to both men and women when we communicate that message. And so I think it's important that we teach our young men, our sons, uh, to be responsible for their own thoughts. And it's important that we teach our daughters and our young women uh, that they are not to blame. They nor their bodies nor their clothing choices are to blame for the lustful thoughts of boys. Uh, And that is not to say that there isn't a conversation to be had around modesty. That modesty is is important, but it's a separate conversation. Uh, It's not connected to lust and who is responsible for lustful thoughts or who is to blame when a person has lustful thoughts. The person who is lusting is the one who's got work to do within their heart, Jesus says. And, and I think that's important, and I think it honors both our girls and our boys, our men and our women, when we communicate a message to them that, that we all have agency over our own thoughts and actions and motives and bodies. Um, and, and I think that's important for us to remember around this conversation of lust. Uh, so that's a quick word about lust. Now about divorce. Uh, I know and I recognize that divorce is a topic that carries a large amount of emotional weight for many people, uh, for many people in here. I would guess that there are few families in this room who have not been impacted in some way by divorce. Whether you have been divorced, you've got a kid or a parent who's been divorced, cousin, aunt, uncle, whoever, if we just went down the family tree, I'm guessing most of us have someone in our family who has been impacted by divorce. So there are scars that that carries, there are open wounds that that carries, Um, and and I think a lot of the ways that we talk about uh, divorce are probably better handled in in more intimate and smaller settings anyway. Uh, But I think then, because of all that, it's become difficult for us to talk about divorce kind of openly and publicly in churches. I don't think we have great vocabulary with which to do it. And, and churches kind of traditionally in the past took such a hard-line approach to not only divorce, but to people who had gone through divorce, that now we've kind of swung the other way, and we don't really know how to talk about it publicly. Uh, and, and so we kind of wrestle with that. How, how do we do that? What, what's, what's, what do we do with, with this weighty topic? And so, again, I recognize there's a lot that could be said around this topic, but, but the main thing that I want us to get from this today and to recognize today is that I think what we get from this is that Jesus takes marriage and the marriage vows that we make to our spouse very, very seriously. Um, And I think that's something that we can all um, agree with and cling to and pursue within a church setting. Whether or not you are single, whether or not you're in your first marriage, second, third, or whatever. That, that we hold high the vows that we make to each other in marriage. Um, and that we hold high the commitment that we make to each other in marriage. And that we can do that and still welcome and embrace and support and encourage those who have had a marriage relationship that didn't work out well and ended in broken relationship. 
Uh, and I think we do that well within this church. I hope we do that well within this church. I think, uh, I know we have people within our church who have been divorced, and I hope and I, I believe have felt supported and encouraged by our church family in that. Um, and I, I think it's a uniting principle that we can remind or that we can unite ourselves around that whatever your marital status, that, that your belief is that I want to be as committed as I can to God in my singleness, in my first marriage, in my second marriage, uh, in my being widowed, whatever it is, uh, that part of how I honor God and honor those around me um, is by respecting God, myself, and others in this. And for those of us who are married, that means remaining committed and connected um, and faithful to our spouse. Um, And I, I think that's a message that we can all get behind. Again, recognizing all the other issues uh, that come with such a difficult and heavy topic. And I think in both of these scenarios then, as Jesus again discusses our connectedness to those with whom we share the most intimate of vows and relationships, I think what he is pointing us toward is, is toward his desire for us to be intensely connected to those with whom we share the most intimate of connections and vows and covenant relationships. And that Jesus is saying, I want you to, to just be connected to this other person in such a way that your heart is fully devoted to that person. Uh, and so I think part of the, the point of this is that, look, uh, I can be unfaithful to my spouse without telling her I want a divorce, right? Jesus says, if, if you're just looking, if you're lusting at another woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so the overriding theme, I think, here for Jesus is this this seriousness and this call that he places before us uh, to be connected well to those with whom we are in the most intimate of relationships. And part of how we do that, then, is by removing ourselves from situations that may tempt us or lead us to sinful behavior. And so I think that's where that, that part in the middle fits in, where he says, all right, if, if you then, if your eye, and even he says your right eye, you may have noticed in there he says right eye and right hand, that's because there's this dominant thought at this time that, that, you know, your right hand was your more powerful, your stronger side. Us left-handed people have always been discriminated against for all of time. <laughs> even Jesus is discriminating against us as lefties. <laughs> um, so he says, I don't, even if it's your good eye and it causes you to stumble, you gouge it out. Even if it's your good hand and it causes you to stumble, you cut it off. And so what is he getting at there? Uh, I don't think he's literally uh, encouraging us to self-mutilation, right? Uh, Peter's not walking around without any limbs at this point. Uh, So I don't think that's what he's encouraging us to do. Because if we did that, pretty soon we'd all look like the Black Knight in Monty Python, (laughs) just completely limbless, right? Yeah, we'd, we'd just be stumps. Thinking, well, I've cut everything off that I can, right? What do I do now, Jesus? Uh, That doesn't seem to be what he's calling us to. Um, And whether or not you believe that theoretically, none of us, I know, believe that in practice because none of us have done it. (laughs) Uh, So what's he getting at? And I think he's getting at this idea that that if there is something in your life that is, is tempting you or leading you towards sinful behavior, get rid of it even if it's something that may, on the whole, be good. Um, If it is leading you towards temptation 
or bad thoughts um, or, or sinful behavior, then you've got to cut it out of your life. Uh, and so the most personal, personal and, and I think fitting example of this that I can give is that uh, when I was in college, like many college young men, I had an issue with pornography. And I kind of got into a, a habit of, of watching pornography. And I realized then in early adulthood that it, was, it did not make sense for me to have HBO as part of the cable package in my home. Because if that was part of what I had in my home, it was too tempting. It was there. Uh, that's not to say there is anything inherently evil about HBO. There's HBO programming that I watch now, now that I have gotten past that temptation and can have it as part of what is on my computer without being tempted by it. Um, and so even something that may on the whole be good, if it is leading you towards sinful thought or behavior, then Jesus says it's better to cut that out and to get rid of it than to have that and for it to lead you towards destructive action and activity. Um, and so Jesus is encouraging us here to say this is what a kingdom-oriented life looks like. It looks like being connected well to those things in your life that are for your good and your benefit. And it looks like removing yourself from those things that are going to bring about destructive behavior and activity. Uh, you know, elsewhere, Jesus says, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. And I think we can read things like this and think, it seems kind of hard though. <laughs> but when you just boil everything down, the message of Jesus is pretty easy. Uh, we're going to get into loving enemies in a couple of weeks. And so there, people have all these questions for Jesus about how, who should I love? How should I treat other people? And repeatedly, Jesus just says, you should love people. Well, who should I love? Who's my neighbor? You should just love, you should love your neighbor. You should love your enemy. Well, what about this situation? What if someone needs help on the Sabbath? Because we don't really think you should work on the Sabbath. Well, loving people involves helping them. So if, if that comes up on the Sabbath, you should do that. Like every time, Jesus' answer is you should just love people. Doesn't matter the situation, who they are, you should love people. It's an easy message. Uh, the difficulty comes in living it out, right? And I think the same thing is here true here as well. Uh, the message of Jesus usually distills into something pretty easy to grasp and understand and wrap our heads around. If there is something in your life that is for your good, cling to it and hold on to it and remain committed to it and don't let it go. If there is something in your life that is causing you to, to stumble, to be disconnected from God, to be disconnected things that are for your good, cut it off, get rid of it, throw it away. Um, it's the trying to pursue both of those that we run into problems, right? Uh, but by the grace of God and through His Spirit, He has equipped us with power, with ability, uh, with support from our family, our friends, our relationships in order to do that. Uh, and to, to, to recognize that the power that we have through Jesus to say, I recognize, Jesus, that in you are the eternal words of life. And because I have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God, I believe the things that you have taught, and I want to live them out in my life. Uh, I want to make you, Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, and I want to live with your perspective for the world and for living. That's what he calls us to in this sermon, and that's what I think he is calling us to here, to be people of faithfulness, people who honor God and others in the ways that we live. And that's why I think there's actually a connection here in this message to our activities today of our baby blessing. 
that again, I think the point is to connect ourselves and commit ourselves to those in our life with whom we are the most intimate and to whom we share an intimate connection and relationship. That works for, parent, for, for a marriage relationship, it works for parenting, it works for families, it works for churches. And so, uh, as a church, today we have the privilege and the blessing uh, today. Uh, sometimes we have multiple families. Today, uh, we have one family who are, we are blessing in the Allens. And we have the, the privilege to come around the Allen family uh, and to remind them of the importance and the privilege uh, that they have been blessed with in baby Raleigh to say we've got this responsibility to be connected to him and to bring him up in God. And we have this responsibility and this, this privilege as a church family to surround them in support and encouragement as they go about doing that. Uh, as we have this communal responsibility to bring up our young people well in Christ, to bring up Raleigh well in Christ. And a reminder that Jesus places before us to be faithful to those who are in our lives, uh, who we've been put in close relationship to. And so we, we are reminding them of that this morning, and we are reminding uh, ourselves of all of those things as well. And um, each Sunday then, we come around the table to remember Jesus and what he has done for us, uh, the sacrifice that he has made for us, and, and the power that we have available to us in his spirit to equip us and to, to aid us on this journey of seeking to do these things. Uh, and so as we share in communion this, this morning, may we be reminded uh, of the call that Jesus puts before us. And may we be encouraged by his love for us as we seek to love others well, uh, to honor ourselves and God and those around us in the ways that we live, in the ways that we remain, remain committed to those uh, that we are in relationship with, uh, and in the ways that we seek God and his kingdom and his will. And so would you stand uh, and sing with us, and then we'll share in the communion meal together this morning.
We'll pray our prayer of confession uh, together as we remain standing, and I'll pray the parts in white, and then together we'll pray the parts in yellow. I believe. There we go. Let's pray. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated. 